May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Mary read so well for us there, Luke's account of Jesus' trial and death. And on this Good Friday, as we heard that chapter of Luke's Gospel once again, I reckon there are two surprises that we easily gloss over because we feel we know the story so well. And the first surprise is this. Jesus is innocent and yet he dies. Jesus is innocent, and yet he dies. It's amazing how many times Luke repeats the point in the chapter. Just look, if you would, back to verse 4. First time we see it is there, verse 4. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. We'll go on to verse 14. Verse 14, Pilate again says, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. So Jesus, he's been passed like an unwanted irritation between Pilate and Herod, and both rulers declare Jesus Christ to be innocent. On to verse 22. For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. So three times the governor of Jerusalem declares Jesus to be innocent. But that's not all. Go on to verse 41. We read that even one of the criminals uh, being crucified next to Jesus said Jesus was innocent. Just look at what he said to the other criminal. End of verse 41. This man has done nothing wrong. And so it goes on. The centurion in verse 47 thinks Jesus is innocent. All through this chapter, the main overriding theme going again and again and again is Jesus is innocent. He is deemed innocent by everybody who came into contact with him. He's declared innocent, and yet he is sentenced to death by crucifixion. That's the first surprise. Jesus is innocent, and yet he dies. And then the second surprise is this. Jesus dies, and yet he forgives. Look first at verse 34, if you would. Verse 34, Jesus, he's there, he's nailed to the cross. He is slowly dying in agony. And what does he say to those who have put him on the cross? Verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. A few moments later, we see Jesus forgiving one of the criminals next to him on the cross. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. And actually, we may gloss over it, but it is such a surprise. First, how can somebody in such agony be thinking about others? But secondly, even more so, this is such a surprise. How can a dying man... How can he have the audacity as he's dying to suggest that he is qualified to forgive others? Something out of the ordinary surely seems to be happening as Jesus died. Verse 45, the sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
This partition in the temple, which had separated sinful humans from a holy God, it symbolically removed, torn in two from top to bottom. The gates of God, they are flung wide open. And the moment it happens, then Jesus dies. We can now walk into God's presence. If you like, the no entry sign of the curtain in the temple, it's no longer there. It's removed. Jesus dies, and yet he forgives. And we don't have to be Sherlock Holmes once we've got those two surprises in our minds to see how they connect. Jesus is innocent, and yet he dies. Jesus dies, and yet he forgives. Together, they show us that Jesus died to save others. Jesus died to save others. Luke doesn't really sort of go in for one-liners, but the point is certainly clear. The, The question all around the cross that day was, why on earth did Jesus not save himself? So verse 35, that's the first time the question's asked. The verse 35, the, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Or verse 37, this time it's the soldiers. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Or verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Again and again, the cry is, Jesus, save yourself. Surely these spectators reckon, surely if this guy on the cross, if he really is the Christ, well, he would save himself. Or is he just a, a regular guy whose life took a drastic turn for the worse at the age of 33? Last week in France, a brave police officer swapped himself for a hostage in a supermarket in the south of France. And he died as a result. He's been hailed as a hero. And rightly so. And I was so struck by some of the words that this man's brother said in an interview after the man's death. His brother said this. He said, he gave his life for a stranger. Thanks to him, many lives were saved. He gave his life for a stranger. Thanks to him, many lives were saved. And those same words, but greatly, greatly magnified, those same words could be said of Jesus. After all, he gave his life not just for a stranger, but for his enemies. Jesus died to save others. That's why Good Friday really is good. Jesus could have saved himself. Jesus could have come down from the cross. This is the man who'd previously calmed the storm, healed the sick, cast out demons, fed the 5,000, raised the dead. This man is God on earth. He could have saved himself. He could have come down off that cross easily. But he didn't. Because of his love for us, because of his love for you and me, he chose to die. He died to save others. 
Well, here's the, the question. It's a very, very simple question. And the question is this. Why was it that one of the criminals next to Jesus that first Good Friday, why did he die an unforgiven sinner and the other criminal died and went to be with Jesus in paradise that very day? What was the difference between the two men? Well, I think it's that the forgiven criminal makes three responses. Three responses. The first response is this. He fears God. He fears God. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked the first one. Don't you fear God, he said. Very simply, he recognized God for who God is. Is. He, he recognized God as a holy God who will justly and rightly judge all sin, all wrongdoing. He recognized God as a loving God, a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross to rescue us from the consequence of sin. He recognized God for who God is. That's a right fear of God. So firstly, he fears God. The second response is he admits his guilt. He admits his guilt. Verse 41, the next verse, he continues, We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. He recognizes that he's done something wrong that deserves punishment. And he sees himself for who he really is, as a man about to die a God-forsaken death. He knows he can do nothing to save himself from this. And so he does the only thing that he can do. His third response. First, he fears God. Second, he admits his guilt. And then third, he trusts Jesus. He trusts Jesus. Verse 42, then the second criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This criminal, he could see with his eyes, through his sweat and tears of agony, he could see another man dying on a cross next to him. That's all he could see. And yet he spoke of a resurrected king. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He trusted Jesus. All he sees is a man dying on a cross in gruesome pain. And yet, in effect, he says, King Jesus, remember me. King Jesus, remember me. You can imagine the agony this criminal must have faced as he waited for the reply to come from Jesus' lips. What was Jesus going to say to him in response? No, sorry, mate, I'm not going to remember you. You're getting what your deeds deserve. I'm innocent. What was Jesus going to say to him? Mate, we're both stuffed. We're both about to die. I can't help you. I have no idea what's waiting us the far side of the grave. What was Jesus going to say to him? Quite simply, he says to the criminal, 
the words that the criminal most wanted to hear. Some of the most wonderful words ever uttered from the lips of anyone. Verse 43, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal, he he didn't have a past to offer Jesus, did he? And he certainly didn't have a future to offer Jesus. He was about to die. But he put his trust in Jesus. King Jesus, remember me. And it's exactly what Jesus did. Remembered him. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Forgiveness. Eternity in heaven rather than hell. Jesus remembered him. Maybe you've come here this Good Friday thinking that you are so far off God's radar thinking that you are worthless to God, thinking that you don't have anything to offer God. Well, you cannot have less to offer than this criminal. And yet you and I, we can still say, King Jesus, remember me. And Jesus will do just that. But what you may find harder to believe is that you and I, we don't have more to offer God than this criminal did. If we've come here thinking we're good enough for God, then I'm afraid we're wrong. We're saying Jesus didn't need to die, that the cross might as well have been empty. On the day that you or I die, will Jesus say to you, will he say to me, today you will be with me in paradise. If we're like the first criminal, if we're we're rejecting Jesus, whether rejecting him in outright hostility or just apathetic indifference, then he won't be saying that. But if we are like this second criminal, if we simply fear God, if we recognize God for who God is, If we admit our guilt, that by nature we have been, all of us, me, you, we've been rejecting God. And then if we trust in Jesus, King Jesus, remember me. Then Jesus will say to us, today you will be with me in paradise. And for you, if you've never gone through those responses of the forgiven criminal before, today for you, it might be that time when you'd like to choose to fear God, to admit your guilt, and to trust in King Jesus. And if that's you today, 
can I encourage you to join me as I lead us now in a prayer, in a prayer of that forgiven criminal, very simply saying, King Jesus, remember me. Shall we pray? Let's pray. As I say, I'm just going to pray a prayer that you might like to echo in your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge you for who you are. I acknowledge you as the holy God and the loving God. Heavenly Father, I admit I need you because of my sin and my guilt. And yet I praise and I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, that you were forsaken on that cross so that I don't have to be. And today I say with that criminal, King Jesus, remember me. Today, Jesus, I place my trust in you. And I ask that you might come into my life by the power of your Spirit so that I can live with you now as my king and know the wonder of being with you in paradise for eternity. In your name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's just stay just at an attitude of prayer just for a moment and just in the quietness. Each one of us may want to just speak our own prayer to King Jesus. Whether we've known him and put our trust in him many years ago, whether we've done that today, whether we're still not quite sure who he is. King Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us, that you love us so much that you went to the cross in our place. And thank you that as we place our trust in you, so we know that you will remember us. Thank you, King Jesus. Amen.